The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. Welcome along, September 16th, 2022. We now augment the recitation of the time zones with the date. By request of one of our Dublin listeners, Tony Allwright, uh, seconded by Veronica in His Majesty's realm of New Zealand. So it is 2 p.m. in Mankato, Minnesota, where the MyPillow guy was taken down by an FBI team in the drive through lane at Hardy's. Uh, 3 p.m. on Martha's Vineyard, uh, which was apoplectic over the arrival of 50 fine upstanding members of the undocumented American community and those 50, all 50, fine upstanding members of the undocumented American community have now been expelled from the vineyard. 4 p.m. in the Canadian Maritimes, half past four in Newfoundland, 8 p.m. in the Imperial Metropolis, where David Beckham queued for 12 hours with his fellow subjects of the Crown to view Her Late Majesty's Coffin in Westminster Hall, a celebrity queuing for 12 hours, not a whiff of the uh, John Kerry uh, Uh, Do you know who I am? Routine from David Beckham. 9 p.m. in Copenhagen, where the Danish government has ended COVID vaccines for almost anyone under 50. Uh, 10 p.m. in Kharkiv, uh, now back in Ukrainian hands. 11 p.m. in Port Louis, Mauritius, where Air France sent my bags. Give them back, you buggers. Sorry, uh... I I rose on a point of personal privilege there. Uh, Midnight in Karachi, 1 a.m. in New Delhi, 3.45 a.m. in Cocklebiddy, and 7 a.m. in Wellington, where Jacinda Ardern appears to be backing away from a fourth COVID vaccine shot. An interesting development from one of the most gung-ho of lockdowners as part of the Royal Morning, His Kiwi Majesty's government has decided to exercise the royal power of pardon and spare the citizen the latest clot shot. We will have a new Sunday poem for you this weekend, which I hope you'll uh, tune in for. It's the start of a long weekend in Britain and much of the Commonwealth, uh, where Monday is a national day of mourning. Uh, or rather more prosaically, a bank holiday. It is not a holiday weekend in America, a pseudo-republic whose civic integrity is degenerating almost daily. I was very disturbed by the My Pillow raid. This is where basically uh, Mike Lindell, the My Pillow guy, you've heard him with me on uh, Rush's show and uh, on... Um, I think on Fox and a couple of other places over the years. Anyway, uh, 
Mike Lindell was returning from a hunting trip and fancied takeout from Hardee's. I haven't been to a Hardee's in whatever it is now, 30, 50, 102 years. Uh, but he's there in the He's doing a David Beckham. He's an enormously wealthy and successful guy, but he's just in the parking lane of the drive through and he's waiting to tell him what his order is. And suddenly the FBI are all around him, and they demand his telephone. The phone on which he runs is fire. He's one of the super advanced guys. Doesn't use a laptop, never mind a laughable desktop. He just runs five companies <clears throat> and his hearing aids off his telephone. Uh, but the FBI have suddenly decided they need his telephone. So you've then got a choice uh, between surrendering the telephone or them putting a bullet in you, which a lot of these guys give the impression they're itching to do uh, and without much provocation. Now, let's just back this thing up a bit. They get him at Hardy's when we, he's returning from an out-of-state hunting trip. So they're surveilling him. This is America. In 2022, where the my pillow guy is under government surveillance, so they know, you know, he's just returning from his hunting trip, and they are there in the parking lot of Hardy's because they've been following him. Now, again, just think about this as if it were a normal police force. Um, and by the way, I, I would ask everyone to bear in mind what I said to Snurdly the other day after a couple of months uh, out of the United States. Uh, and I, you know, I said to Snurdly that all Western nations are going down the toilet of history. But there's a difference in the scale of corruption here and that in America, the bureaucracy can kill you. That's why they're hiring, you know, 87,000 armed uh, whatever they're called, treasury agents, IRS agents, reven re revenue agents, I think they call them in other places. They don't have guns. They don't have guns. They're, ju they're just boring people who uh, will uh, argue with your uh, tax return and maybe freeze your bank account and perhaps confiscate some assets. But they don't actually knock on the door and prepare to put a bullet in you. And that's the difference here. Now, a police force. Now, Mike Lindell is he's not a mysterious character living in the shadows like the shadowy right wing militias. They used to go on about after Oklahoma City. Uh, Dan Rather and uh, co used to go on about the shadowy right wing militias uh, every night. He's not he's not shadowy at all. He's got an office. He's got a home. You can say we're going to go round and see him at nine in the morning. No police force uh, would try to take a guy down in the drive through lane of a fast, in a civilized country, would try to take a guy down in a drive through lane or of a fast food restaurant. Because what are you going to do if, if he uh, resists? You're going to start firing? Oh, sorry, didn't mean to clip you, Granny. Oh, my God, I'm so sorry, madam. I've shot your two-year-old. But the bloody, awful, disgusting, sick, corrupt... FBI take down the my pillow guy in the parking lane of a drive-through. This eight, these guys are out of control. They're sick. Do you know John Hinderaker at Powerline? I've known John for 
uh, you know, most of this century. He's the soul of moderation. And for many people, Powerline isn't, uh, you know, isn't hardcore enough for the way uh, we are today. They they want uh, something, you know, uh, with a bit more red meat. And Powerline is basically a trio of lawyers who are interested in preserving the remnants of civilization as it exists in this decaying republic. John Hinderaker is the soul of moderation, and he today is describing the Federal Bureau of Investigation as Biden's Gestapo. Uh, there, you know, that's a, obviously a provocative comparison. If you want to be less provocative, you could compare them uh, to Saddam Hussein's Republican Guard or whatever. But they are not a, no, they are no longer, and again, the pansy right uh, is somehow has conflated the behavior of the FBI. Oh, you know, we were, I'm proud to be, uh, my, my, uh, my mother played a prison guard in a lesbian prison movie. I've always supported law enforcement. And uh, they're saying things like, oh, well, yes, OK, I know I said 99% of them are straight shooting G-men. And maybe it's only 95% of them now who are straight shooting G-men. It's a corrupt, it's corrupt from head to toe. And, and you know, Mike Lindell from my pillow has got money enough to uh, to take it to the other guys, and Sue Beck. That woman in New Jersey, three armed FBI agents. And again, I emphasize the difference between uh, the United States and other Western nations. You don't have to worry uh, about, the, uh, about the Danish police killing you. But that's the consideration that has to be back in the back of your mind whenever you interact with agents of the state in America. You seem to be getting rather angry, sir. Uh, do try and calm down. Uh, otherwise, I might have to put a bullet in you. Uh, so th this lady in New Jersey finds three armed FBI agents on her doorstep because she went to the United States Capitol on January the 6th, the capital city of the United States. She, she was reported anonymously as having done so. Uh, I don't believe she actually did. But that's enough to get three armed FBI guys on your doorstep without warning. You know something? There are capital cities that have restrictions on whether you're allowed to go to them. If you are driving along the auto route toward Mecca, there's a sign saying last exit for infidels. And if you're an infidel, boom, you have to get off there. Uh, but that's not the way it's really meant to be with America, is it? So you get an anonymous tip that somebody was in, Jan in Washington, D.C. on January. Can we all play this game? And will the FBI send three uh, armed agents round if, if I say, oh, my, my, my neighbor Gladys Scroggins at... Uh, 47B Maple Street. She, uh, I think she was in D.C. on January the 6th. Are they going to come around and kick her door down? This is a sick country. A, to a very sick country. It's criminalizing politics more and more crudely every day. Criminalizing political opposition more and more 
uh, openly every single day. Why would they be doing that? Oh, well, there's an election coming up in a couple of weeks. Oh, really? I didn't know that. So you think they're uh, criminalizing uh, political opposition in the run-up to the election as a way of maybe dissuading other uh, ladies living in New Jersey subdivisions from maybe uh, expressing their political opinion. Would that be happen to be why it is? Oh, you you, you don't know the half of it. Okay, uh, that's uh, that's it's a serious thing. And you know, on the FBI, I'm sick of people. Oh, ninety-five percent. Okay, no, it might be ninety. Think of all the things they've done in recent years, and add up the thousands and thousands of agents who were involved in that. And then you want to do this? Oh, they're straight shooting G-men. I would trust them with my. You're, but you're making a fool of yourself every time you say that. It's time to get real or get out. You know, most of the conservative ink guys are rich enough. They made their money. You know, if, if all you're going to do is contribute to uh, obsolete myths about straight shooting G-men, you should just pack it up and get out of the business. What are the Republicans going to do? You know, as I say, John Hinderager, I John is the soul of moderation. And he is now saying that this agency... Uh, has has to be uh, shut down. Uh, it's beyond reform. You can't reform it. This is one of those, we're in one of those situations, you know, if you listen to the 100 Years Ago show, you'll know that the incoming uh, government of the Irish Free State uh, didn't look on the Royal Irish Constabulary, uh, their officers, as being entirely on board with the Irish Free State project. So they came to an arrangement where those guys uh, could either take retirement or they could join the Royal Ulster Constabulary up north or they could uh, take the ferry and uh, join a constabulary in Great but the But the idea, but the idea that, uh, you know, and that, and, and to be honest, uh, you, can, you can make the case uh, that the Royal Irish Constabulary actually preserved a veneer of uh, impartiality rather better than the current FBI are doing it. So it's time to stop buggering around with, oh, 95, my mother played a, a, a prison guard, one of the most highly regarded lesbian prison movies ever made. These are straight shooting. It's just ridiculous. Let's get to your question. I would just wonder, I should probably have left that uh, for one of the questioners, but I just, you know, I don't know what you is on your mind these days. And I just want to say, I think these are disturbing trends and conservative media in the United States are not where they should be on it. Drew Weber, uh, unless it's Drew Weber, but I think it might be Drew Weber, says, Hello, Mark. The open borders crowd are quick to invoke cliches like a nation of immigrants to claim that America is strengthened by mass immigration, illegal or otherwise. Much different response when asked about immigrants coming into their neighborhoods. The word farce falls short of characterizing the state of the USA. This is in reference uh, to the uh, 50 illegal immigrants. The, the Republican governors principally... Uh, DeSantis in Florida and Abbott in Texas are now flying uh, illegal immigrants from the border communities 
uh, to places where wealthy liberals live, such as Martha's Vineyard. And it's very funny, actually. Laura Rosen Cohen <laughs> sent me an hilarious uh, thread uh, from one of these community, uh, you know, what, are, what, are, what do they call them? Chat groups or whatever they call them. Now, I know in my little New Hampshire town, there's one where, you know, you post things about your missing dog or uh, whether somebody would like to uh, provide something for the ice cream social on the common on Thursday. And this one is now, they've got something in Martha's Vineyard, uh, similar. It's like a sort of front, what do they call it? In Vermont? I think in Vermont they call it Front Porch Forum. they got something similar in Martha's Vineyard. And it's all going back and forth between, you know, uh, wealthy liberals who are now being asked to live with the crap they impose on uh, the rest of the nation. The point, the point about being a wealthy liberal is you can insulate yourself from the pathologies you impose on the general population. So, uh, so uh, illegal immigrants are for your town. They're not for whatever it's called, Edgar Town on Martha's Vineyard. And they say, oh, no, we've got a shortage of housing. Well, wait a minute. There's only 50 people and uh, and 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 uh, Mr. and Mrs. Obama down the street have a 10-bedroom house. So why couldn't they have their house and then put, you know, five people in each of their other nine bedrooms and, uh, and, and have a couple of people sleeping in the basement and then they can handle the whole thing? No, 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 no. All 50 have to get off the island. Now, this is after years of uh, years of basically the government, the entire term of this awful man who purports to be the leader of the free world. He's been flying them all over the place. Planes land in the middle of the night in the remotest parts of the country as part of a conscious strategy that there should be, you're not going to be able to have your little redoubts of unwrecked America uh, in, in obscure northern states hard by the Canadian border. Everywhere now is the southern border. That is the point of what uh, Biden has been doing these, or whoever's uh, waggling the dead husk of a sock puppet that is Joe Biden. That's the point of this thing, that basically the southern border now stretches up to the Great Lakes and the 49th parallel. There is nowhere that isn't a border community, except places where the Obamas and Nancy Pelosi and the like live. And these governors have called them on that. And, and, and uh, it's droll... Whether it's enough, uh, we shall see. Caroline D. writes, Hi, Mark. Gavin Newsom is asking the DOJ to look into possible kidnapping charges for Governor Abbott and DeSantis because they bust or flew migrants to other parts of the country. Do you think it will go anywhere? Well, you can never tell whether anything will go anywhere because, again, uh, one of the differences is the corrupted judiciary in this country. I know a little bit about that uh, just from the uh, the decade-long uh, man trial in, uh, in Washington, D.C. One of the reasons I know about that is because we had a, um, an interlocutory appeal, which is an appeal in the middle of an ongoing case that suspends 
the trial judge's work while the interlocutory appeal on a particular aspect is heard. Now, those guys uh, took, I think, three years, actually. You know, an appellate court is supposed to act quickly, particularly on an interlocutory appeal, so you can all get back to the trial. Uh but they took three years, and then they took another year to revise two of their sentences when it was pointed out, two footnotes, I think it was, when it was pointed out that they got a couple of things wrong, despite so-called taking three years. Now, they hadn't spent three years trying to come up with a legal argument. They, uh, they Those judges, who were awful third-rate hack jurists, they were politically supportive of the whole climate change thing. So what they took the three years to do, well, for a start, they wanted to take the wind out of the sails of any public outrage at this trial, and they very successfully did that. But they also needed three years to come up with some tortured legal argument that would address their political goals. And ever since then, I've just thought, these are, these are people who would find it very hard in any reasonably honest uh, judicial system, uh, such as in, uh, I don't know, the Cook Islands, South Georgia, wherever. I mean, South Georgia and the South Atlantic, of course, not South Georgia, where apparently uh, there are problems with voter registration. Uh, but th 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 there's, a, there's a corrupt judiciary. So, you know, when you say, do, when Caroline says, do you think it, the DOJ will actually look into possible kidnapping charges? Oh, I think so. And as I said, Abbott and DeSantis didn't do anything that, you know, Biden hasn't been doing. Biden takes, uh, Biden takes illegal immigrants on the Texas border and he flies them up to the middle of Maine. Now, Maine is supposed to be under the constitution uh, that Mark Levin's so fond of, uh, these states are supposed to be sovereign. But somehow, and, and Maine uh, doesn't have a border with Mexico, but somehow uh, Biden has chosen to impose a Mexican border. He's chosen basically to move the Rio Grande and reroute it through central Maine. So uh, that's ridiculous. Uh, but I think, you know, they're doing that. They're pushing, 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 because they're they're basically prepping the ground for the November election result. That's what this is about. Uh, Walt Trimmer says, "Do you agree with Hillary Clinton that Ron DeSantis flying illegal immigrants into Martha's Vineyard off season after Labor Day is human trafficking and inhumane?" Uh, you know. It's Kathy Shadle's great line about liberals. It's different when we do it. So they could they don't want a lot of you know they don't they don't they don't want a lot of impoverished third world immigrants. They, they they expect to they want to live a certain way on Martha's Vineyard, and they don't want to have any problems, people breaking into homes and all that kind of thing. So no. Uh, and they don't care. This is this is one of the the very frustrating things about uh, American media. They don't care about hypocrisy, and nor do the voters. 
because the Democrats are about power. So their whole thing is, yeah, well, we're being hypocritical. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, you you know, we're all about the Me Too. Oh, yeah, Me Too, believe all women. Oh, except in the case of uh, Bill Clinton or any of those big shot Democrats who are going on the Lolita Express to Jeffrey Epstein's pad. Uh, they don't care about that. And they generally speaking get away with it and in everything. Oh, oh, Trump, uh, Trump made a, uh, a phone call try putting pressure on the president of Ukraine. Oh, that's terrible. We have to impeach him. Uh, Biden is on tape bragging about putting pressure on the president of Ukraine. You know, it never gets, it doesn't go any, it doesn't go anywhere for these kind of arguments generally, they're all perfectly true, but they don't generally go anywhere for uh, Republicans. In this case, you know, what we're arguing about now is we're saying that Joe Biden has the right to fly illegal immigrants into Martha's Vineyard, but uh, Ron DeSantis doesn't. And, you know, for once they may be taking the whole hypocrisy thing a bit too far. But don't forget, they're serious about power. And the Wimpo GOP, the Kevin McCall, yes, when we, you better be, when we get in in November, we might call some hearings on. Do you remember the Benghazi hearings? Remember all the, all the people from Hillary Clinton down who all went to prison for that? Yeah, well, we're going to be doing that all over again. Just you wait and see for years. Because oddly enough, holding interminable inquiries that never nail anyone worth nailing is uh, is one thing that we do to distract the fact that uh, on, on the GOP we have this uh, uh, platform of policy planks that we never, ever, ever make any effort to implement, uh, no matter how big we win. Frank Gallenstein says, hi, Mark. Is it possible for the towns in GB, Great Britain, I take it, to take the lead from USA Governors Abbott and DeSantis and ship, ship fly illegal migrants to localities in GB where the hypocrisy that is occurring uh, in New York, Chicago and Martha's Vineyard will be exposed? Well, I don't, th I don't think they're quite at the same uh I don't think they're quite at the same state of affairs. Right now, it's a strain on hope. It's a, obviously, it's a smaller country. Uh, it's got about a fifth of the population. And on a bad night, which are quite rare, you get over a thousand people washing up on the shores of southern England. Uh, to be put up in hotels. By comparison, officially, there are over 8,000 a day crossing on the southern border illegally. And that's officially. Um, you know, the real number, uh, which is occasionally caught on a drone from Fox News or whatever, is far larger. And the innumeracy here, uh, Frank, I think is a big part of the problem. Um, people, I don't think, for the first time in 2021, first time ever, more than two million people, uh, Ill illegal encounters, as they put them, at the border occurred. More than two million. And all those two million are now somewhere within America. 
that's an underestimate because that's someone who comes into contact with the border. I mean, there are people who don't come into contact with the border agents, just come in. So the, the rough guess would be it's actually twice that. It's about four million. Four million. So what's happening is on a scale completely different uh, from the uh, from what's going on in other countries. Nobody has this level of surrender, of surrender, because that's what it is. Now, just to put that in perspective. I live in New Hampshire, which isn't a big state, but it's an important state because you know people come and campaign here for the best part of a year because they want to win the New Hampshire primary. Now, if you add the uh, so if you take that two million figure, as I say, I reckon that's off by half. I'd I'd say it's four million, but two million is a record uh, for the official number of border encounters in 2021, uh, and it's gone up obviously since in this year. But they're a bit sclerotic about coming up with the numbers. So we've just got this two million number. But let's say it's two million. That's more than the population of New Hampshire and Vermont combined. OK, so so if you take the Democrats seriously when they say, uh, oh, we want to abolish the Electoral College. Uh, so that it's just one man, one vote for president. OK, well, the, the two million people you let in just last year uh, negate the votes of uh, the entirety of my state and the neighboring state. That's why they do it. Now, the innumeracy is the problem here because uh, and the lack of imagination. So that when you see, uh, you know, uh, 10 people in a parking lot who seem to uh, just have gotten off a bus from somewhere. You, it requires an awful lot of imagination to see what those 10 people are going to be in 15 or 20 years' time. But the arithmetic isn't complicated. I make the point because uh, Trump famously complained that he was sick of all these people coming here from bleephole countries, as he put it. And he said, why don't we get immigrants from Norway? Uh, OK, why, you know, OK, why do you think? Why? Well, let's set aside why any Norwegian would want to emigrate to the United States in the present circumstances. There are only five million Norwegians. So even if everybody, everybody in Norway were to emigrate to the United States, it would only match on the official numbers two years' intake of illegal immigrants. So it wouldn't do anything for you. This is how fast they're coming in. And American, you know, oh, you know, even the, I love the conservatives, all we do, oh, the nation of immigrants. It was never, an, it, the nation of immigrants thing, which has been poisonous, not just for America, but for the world, because now the entirety of the Western world is supposed to be a nation of immigrants. You know, one of the interesting things is that no normal society thinks of itself as that. No normal society bends over backwards to go on about what a fine and virtuous thing uh, uh, immigrants are per se, you know, to make it the founding principle of your nation is actually deeply weird. Most countries just, you know, Finland is where the Finns happen to live and Slovenia is where the Slovenes happen to live. Uh, and this was how most functioning societies thought, for good or bad, you know, because sometimes the your native stock is better than others. 
But this idea that, oh, nation of immigrants, nation, there aren't enough people now anywhere. You know, the Trump, the, the Trump line, on what basis would five million Norwegians want to move to the United States just to match the uh, four million taken in in 2021, if you, if you go by my estimate? None at all. Wouldn't you rather be five million Norwegians in a land of five million Norwegians as opposed to being five million Norwegians in a third world nation of 400, 450, 500, 600 million? You tell me where the ceiling is uh, for every year that the Dem- I mean, for every year that the Democrats get away with this, how many of those two million illegal immigrants admitted in 2021 are ever going to be going back? Two million is a bleep load, as the president, former president, whatever they call him now, it would say. It's a bleep load of people. It's it's forty percent of the population of Norway. It's forty percent of the population of New Zealand, but somehow. All the clever people at Martha's Vineyard think, oh, we can just keep letting in millions and millions and millions of people. They got a they got a glimpse of their future today, which is, you know, that eventually uh, they'll be everywhere, including in Martha's Vineyard when you admit people uh, like uh, like this. Let's have old oh, John Barrett says, hi, Mark, we've been mesmerized by the live feed of the mourners passing by the Queen's catafalque. In Westminster Hall, the solemnity of the guards and the dignity of the people, all ages and races, families, veterans, and not one cell phone or camera visible. So very moving. Your thoughts. Um, I do like uh, the laying in. I thought the, the Queen Mother's laying in state 20 years ago was abs- was one of it, it. To me, it one of the great things it did was it put to bed the sort of post-Diana fever, the Queen Mum's uh, catafalque in Westminster Hall. And again, the the four of her grandsons standing vigil, the vigil of the princes, as they call it, the um, Prince of Wales, Duke of York, the Earl of Wessex and uh, Viscount Linley all standing at each corner of the catafalque. The visual, I thought that was a great one, and I thought the one for uh, the one for George V uh, in whatever it was, 1936, with his sons, uh, the Prince of Wales, the uh, Duke of York, the Duke of Gloucester, and the Duke of Kent. I thought if you look at their black and white photos, and they are fantastically moving, and the same thing... Uh, uh, with the Queen Mum, I don't. I didn't care for the composition. I, I the, the composition lacked a bit of uh, cleanness for me. Uh, there were a bit too many people sort of standing guard around the catafalcons, including a couple of cabinet ministers at one point, which I didn't really get. But I think the people. I just mentioned David Beckham queuing for 12 hours. That's what the queue was up to in the early hours of the morning. It's a 24-7 thing, and there's just a continuous uh, uh, line going in and out 24 hours a day. And basically, you stand on the south bank so they're not clogging up the west end or the city of Westminster. You go across Lambeth Bridge, and then it snakes east all the way to Southwark Park. And I believe 
beyond. And it is true that, and people have come. There, I've seen interviews with people who've flown in from uh, Canada. Um, that that it is a very moving thing. You basically you just come into the presence of the casket and you bow your head and you walk through and out. It's not a long thing to do. And um, it is, I think, dignified and moving in the best way. I, I, my whole view on stuff like this is that I like, I mentioned last week's show, I noted the way the expression gentleman of quality had been excised from the accession proclamation because presumably it's hard to stay with a straight face when uh, Tony Blair and Boris Johnson and David Cameron are in the room. Uh, but I might gen- and I've watched all these proclamations round, and I, I've said I said last week too. I didn't like the way, you know, they had these modish touches like uh, tedious Aboriginal dancing at Canberra and uh, uh, and all the rest of it. And uh, so I like it just done the way it was without any changes. And generally speaking, I think the bits that have worked in this last week have been done in that spirit and the bits uh, that that um, and, and and the modish bits you just have to endure but I do agree that the sight of people just trooping past the catafalc is indeed uh, very moving and it is interesting you know we get all this rubbish from stupid uh, where was she? Carnegie Mellon, the stupid professor, saying, you know, she hopes the genocidal bleep dies howling in agony. You see that, uh, you know, the, the, there's there's young people, there's old people, there's white people, there's brown people, there's black people, there's yellow people, and they all want to pay their respect. That is true. Christina says, hi, Mark. In a land where everything is broken, do you feel that the UK police will be able to protect all the funeral attendees. I don't know that that's what it's about. It would be very... With the with the number of people, when you've got like a line of people that uh, goes uh, basically a 12-hour line, you know, that imposes its own policing. They're basically using every policeman they they can they can, so now would be a very good time if you want to you know commit a crime in Scotland because half the Scottish police are in London or whatever. Um, the funeral attendees, I hate the Queen. Hate if you mean the big shots, the Queen hated that. She felt that assuming the risk was part of the job. And so if uh, Bozo, the brain-dead husk, if he's planning on doing his 48-car motorcade and demanding the closing of streets for miles around, that's not how people do it. The king's car was stuck in traffic. Uh, Was it in Scotland or Belfast or wherever it was the other day? Just because, you know, in the end, uh, that's part of being the job. We had that uh, twit, uh, what's he called, Uh, Mike Pence, when he came to... Vermont, of all places, they basically shut down the entire state because a vice president that most people actually couldn't recognize uh, was tootling around in rural Vermont. So they're not going to be doing that for uh, the governor general of Canada, 
if they are prevailed upon to do it for uh, the president of the United States, it will be very sad, I think. Um, uh, time for let's have a little musical interlude. Uh, I, the Queen did not make it to a hundred, but here is a lady who did. She was born a century ago today in Tacoma, Washington. Janice Page starred on Broadway in the original production of The Pajama Game uh, in whatever that was, 1954, and then got a somewhat arresting solo in the Fred Astaire picture Silk Stockings a couple of years later. In the 60s, she seduced Bob Hope in one of the fairly terrible comedies he was making at that time. And then she got her own sitcom, Jan, on ABC, and then she just kept going. Uh, as she does to this day. If you're doing a charity event for a cause she supports, she'll say yes, and she'll come along and do topical lyrics about what it's like to be old in an age of uh, sexting and transitioning. These days, I get out less than she does, so it's been a while since I saw her, but she looked impossibly fabulous for whatever age she was back then. And I trust it's the same on this memorable birthday. Here she is with a number by one of my favourite songwriting teams, Walter Donaldson and Gus Kahn. It was written in the 1920s and somebody took it upon themselves to update all the lyrics for Miss Page, which, of course, are now far more outdated than the original lyrics are. Uh, but do listen out uh, for the second chorus and Janice Page's Perfect time capsule of mid-20th century cheesecake or bombshells or whatever we're still allowed to say. My baby just cares for me. A happy 100th birthday to Janice Page. My baby don't care for shows my baby don't care for clothes My baby just cares for me My baby don't care for golf or tennis He'll tell you that football is just a menace A mumbo begins to play my baby just runs away The cha-cha he just can't see My baby don't care Who knows it My baby just cares for me Baby's no Monroe fan Jane Russell's and also ran My baby just cares for me My baby thinks Sherry North is boring And he never heard of Mamie Van Doren that Lana may send the boys But baby, she just annoys He thinks I'm the perfect she I wonder 
leaves all his stares for My baby just cares For me Janice Page, who celebrates her 100th birthday today. Did you catch that recitation of 1950s screen sirens? Marilyn Monroe, Jane Russell, Sherry North, Mamie Van Doren, Lana Turner. Miss Page is older than the majority of that list, yet she has outlasted all of them, save for Mamie Van Doren. Janice Page with the Buddy Cole Quartet, My Baby Just Cares For Me. Let's get back uh, to your questions. Robert Stewart says, Mark, General Don Bulldock uh, won the Republican primary for the Senate seat in New Hampshire recently. Yeah, by recently, I think just a couple of days ago. Uh, what do you make of his chances to unseat the Democrat incumbent? That would be Maggie Hassan who has only, I think, a 30% approval rating. And so uh, her seat was regarded as the most vulnerable Democrat seat in November. And the original thinking was that Chris Sununu, the governor, was the Republican governor, was going to uh, take on uh, Maggie Hassan and put the seat back in the Republican camp. And... Uh, then he left it rather late to withdraw, and so did the former senator, defeated senator, who went down on the night Trump won the presidency, Kelly Ayotte. She distanced herself from Trump, and she distanced herself right out of a job. And anyway, she and uh, Chris Sununu said they weren't going to be running for the Senate seat. So then the, oh, the Republican, oh, no, we've left it too late now to find any plausible candidate. And this guy came along. He's a New Hampshire native uh, from Laconia in the Lakes District, and he snaffled out uh, the uh, nomination during the primary from all the supposedly House-trained uh, candidates. He's someone who uh, thought that the 2020 election was stolen. <laughs> uh, but he has uh, sort of semi-backed uh, I, I But I'm laughing because... <laughs> I'm I'm staggered that uh, calling into question the 2020 election is grounds for you not being a respectable candidate when uh, the Democrats own 2016 candidate, the Democrats own Georgia governor candidate, all manner of I mean, I'm trying to think back. I'm not. I'm trying to think whether, when the last time in my lifetime the Democrats accepted a Republican victory, they didn't in 2000. Remember all those bumper stickers about the selected president and all uh, that kind of thing. They didn't in 2004. They believed all those exit polls from Ohio and uh, didn't and think something must have happened because uh, those leaked exit polls all showed John Kerry cruising to, you know. But apparently. They had faked enough with this Baldock guy uh, to make uh, Chris Sununu say that he thought he was a fringe candidate and he wouldn't be uh, um, endorsing him in the event that he won the primary. So this guy is going to have to – he's in the situation that uh, where he's going to have to win uh, without the support of the New Hampshire Republican establishment. 
And if you're saying, wait a minute, there's a New Hampshire Republican establishment, what do they do all day? Uh, yeah, I, would, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, but uh, 538, uh, which runs all the numbers on these things, thinks he has no more than a, a one in five chance of unseating Maggie Hassan. I think he has a somewhat better chance than that. New Hampshire has, by the by American standards, we're not talking about uh, Swedish standards, uh, but by American standards, New Hampshire has quite a, a clean election system, except for the college towns uh, like Hanover, the home of Dartmouth College, and Plymouth, the home of uh, Plymouth State University, and a couple of other places. But other than that, it genuinely has it generally is quite clean elections. The 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 interesting thing here, I take this view. I don't. He's now walked back some of his comments on whether Joe Biden is or isn't a legitimate president. But they're going to be throwing all that stuff at him. And here's the thing that you know, if people are really stupid enough to vote over that, and there are still tens of millions of people here who don't want to recognize the gravity of the situation here, as I said. You know, we have on the official numbers basically twice the population of the state of New Hampshire just walking into the country, right? Rendering New Hampshire, because again, uh, regardless of whether they're citizens, the apportionment, for example, of congressional welfare is done on the basis of people. Doesn't matter whether those people are citizens, doesn't matter whether they're legal residents with green cards, doesn't matter whether they're people who've just walked across the Rio Grande. You know, so already last year's intake outpunches New Hampshire, twice as big as New Hampshire in terms of federal gravy. You know, so it's not really about the candidates. It's about the way the, the people, tens of millions, hundreds of millions maybe, of people are a, a big step away from where they need to be in thinking about these issues. And part of that is the problem. It's not the problem of uh, General Baldock uh, in Laconia. It's the problem, uh, nor is it the problem, of a very left-wing media that just basically serves the interests of the Democrat Party. It's not really left-wing and right-wing anymore. It's just a naked exercise in regime power, as we see in the behavior of the FBI. And then the people who could make the difference, which is Conservative Inc. and the conservative media, are just, you know awash in trivia. They're not doing anything to move the needle, which is what you need to do. Again, it's the great line from Mrs. Thatcher. First you win the argument, then you win the election. When have you ever actually heard Mitch McConnell or Kevin McCarthy really make an argument? And then they're surprised uh, that they don't, you know, and I know I'm, I haven't backed off what I said in November. I think I don't think it was widespread fraud. I think the beauty of the system is that you only need narrow spread for fraud. You need to take half a dozen consequential states, and you have to look at the demo, their swing states, but they have Democrat cities, and you look at the Democrat cities, and then you introduce new forms of voting that would be illegal in most free societies in the world. 
And you don't have to do. And then you have this thing where votes are not counted where they're cast. So you have this uh, weird, sick American thing of vans of votes being driven around in the middle of the night. You then have these machine votes. Again, it's not a thing in New Hampshire. It's a paper ballot state, basically. But you then have these machine votes. And, and as we found, you know, out months after the inauguration. Oh, yes, a uh, we did have a look at the votes in this or that county. And yes, the, something did happen with the machines and it switched uh, 9,000 votes from uh, Republican to Democrat. But it wouldn't be enough to make uh, a difference in the, you know, that's not a good enough standard. The, the the whenever people would they wouldn't you know Bill Barr's oh yes we saw did see uh, this and we did see that but it wouldn't be enough to make any difference you prat do you know nobody talks like that in other countries with functioning elections I don't mean I'm not meaning Europe talking about places like Botswana you know that you uh, that the the idea that election integrity isn't called into question unless you steal enough votes to change to flip the election he's uh, you know it's I, I i've i've talked about this often in the past and i feel exactly the same way about it and the question is whether so so republicans have to win huge win huge uh to overcome the margin of fraud uh, and you can place that. You can, if you want to run the arithmetic, you could put a percentage on that. But it's not a small percentage. And the fact of the matter is that for them, for Repub there is no sign of Republicans, of a Republican tide that will overcome the margin of fraud, in part because uh, these guys never make the arguments. Uh, very few do. As I said, it's it's a numeracy issue. You know, if you're in if you're in New Hampshire and you feel a bit squeaky, you want to vote on the basis of Robert Baldock saying things that are a bit uh, too overheated for your taste. Fine, but you got to know that the country is broke. It's the brokest country in the nation in 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 history. Uh, it's a deeply corrupt country. So whenever it has a spending bill, all the money gets just sluiced off by buddies connected to government or in entirely useless, you know, I, the, the one I always talk about is the border crossing uh, at North Troy, Quebec and Manson, uh, Mansonville, Quebec and North Troy, Vermont, where for years Her Majesty had a little hut on the north side and Uncle Sam had a little hut on the southern side and then they got money in the stimulus. So on the southern side, it's been expanded into a six-lane superhighway and a thing that looks like the Starship Enterprise. And it's a border crossing that gets two cars an hour. This was before COVID. It's probably down to one car a, a, an hour now. Uh, so, But let's say it goes back up. It's two cars an hour, and that still leaves four lanes for the Department of Homeland Security to go bowling in. It's all corrupt. It's vile. It's corrupt on a scale... Beyond the worst corrupt, they don't really have a lot of corrupt. I mean, they have a, the corruption in France is generally sexual, and you know they have some corruption in the. But the scale of the corruption here is astonishing, 
and it's staring people in the face, but they won't do anything. Oh, yes, I was, I was, you know, you're right. I thought that's very bad and I don't really like all this uh, inflation and I wasn't happy about the vaccine uh, mandates. And really, is that true about millions of people just walking into the country so that the, the uh, power of uh, New Hampshire as a state of a little over a million people in a nation of uh, whatever it is, 350 million people, uh, gets diluted further and further with every month that you just allow. You know, a million people every three months to walk into the country. So a population the size of New Hampshire walks into the country every three months. Oh, but yes, yes, that's so true. I accept what you're saying about that. But this Baldock guy still seems he's a bit strong meat for me. So I think I'm just going to stick with Maggie Hassan uh, and uh, and go for another uh, few years of uh, uh, double digit inflation and uh, and and uh, masks and mass illegal immigrants. You know, it's not the candidates. It's it's the people. It's the candidates aren't great. But the people are, uh, you know, tens of hundreds of millions of people are pathetic. Pathetic. Uh, and I know that's not a... If I was run, running for office, I wouldn't say that because it'd sound a bit like uh, Mitt Romney when he famously wrote off whatever it was, the, uh, the people who didn't pay any federal income tax. But, you know, the, it's the change in the disposition of the people that is needed more than anything. Michael Cavino says, Hi, Mark. With each passing day and each unprecedented action by the Biden regime, we Americans are losing our civil liberties. For example, FBI agents routinely seize the phones of those who publicly oppose the Biden regime. Uh, before they present a warrant. And once presented, the warrant often lacks the key attachment which describes what the DOJ is looking for. Just ask John Eastman. That's that's true. Uh, the My Pillow guy didn't want to give up his phone, uh, so he called his lawyer. He was eventually allowed to kill his lawyer, and the lawyer advised him to give up the phone. As I said, we're in a situation... He's in a parking... He's in the drive through lane at Hardy's, Right. And you always got to be aware when you push back against American bureaucrats, whether they're just going to put a bullet in you. Um, that's, you know, something that certainly if you're an immigrant, uh, you, you become because it's so different from one's experience with policemen in other societies that you do, you have to sort of calculate where this is headed and how quickly it can spin out of control. You know, Ann Coulter, a very prominent person on the American right, far more prominent than me, but she says, she always says, uh, black men wouldn't be having all these problems about getting shot by cops if they uh, just went quietly and cooperated. But you, but you realize when you look at these FBI scenarios uh, that, that Mike Lindell was in. Now, he's a prominent and successful person. And as I said, they could have arranged to come around and see him at eight in the morning or nine in the at his home, nine in the morning at his office. But they decided to take him down at the drive through of a fast food joint because they're teaching him a lesson in power. And when they do that, so you're thinking you're a hugely successful person. And, and, you know, again, it's all on the politics here. They would never do that uh, to the 
Facebook guy. They would never do it to a big, powerful Biden supporter. Hunter Biden doesn't have to worry about getting taken down in the drive through lane of a Hardy. So we have this lack of equality before the law here. But you have, but it's real for people. You know, I'm, I'm sure Mike Lindell, there's the braggadocio side, you know, we all do a bit of that. And, but there's also the side that's a little bit frightened because the, 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 the third guy on the right, he looks, he's looked, his hands twitching and it's moving. You know, you always have to think about where is, how quickly this can spin out of control. It's evil, 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 evil. Um, Michael Cavino continued, and I don't use that term lightly. I'm not someone who makes, you know, Nazi comparison. I hate Nazi comparisons generally because it's you don't need a professional to do those because it seems to be the only the only bit of history from before the death of Elvis that anybody knows. These say, oh, Nazi. No, you're the Nazi. No, you're the Nazi. So I never do those Nazi comparisons. But I know what happens when respectable democratic societies suddenly, uh, not suddenly, but they, they drift and become unrespectable. And I would put the United States in that category. I would put the United... I'm, I'm not getting overheated uh, about some of these things, but again, I've seen bits, things in the Commonwealth, in various Commonwealth countries that uh, show signs of getting out of control. The Queen actually had to get involved in one of those just a couple of years back in the uh, in the Pacific. And um, I've seen it in European countries too. But So we're not making Nazi comparisons, but basically uh, the FBI and the Democrat Party have merged and there, and there are no mass resignations. They're being our, they're political shock troops now. And the, and the wanker right, oh, my mother, she, she played a prison guard in one of the most critically acclaimed lesbian prison movies. You know, none of that, none of that is going to get you anywhere. Michael Cavina continues, like you, I keep wondering why the Republicans and Conservative Inc. do nothing other than tell us that 99% of the FBI and DOJ are good, decent folk. The DOJ, that's the Department of Justice. Or main justice. That's a phrase. If you're going on television and you want to sound like you're one of the insiders, you call it main justice. Because all these other things, the FBI, the Bureau of Prisons and everything, are all basically under the Department of Justice. That's a whole other problem. That bloody awful racket should be brought, broken up. But the Department of Justice, they were ordered by a judge to cough up their plans for election uh, e election integrity. Because Biden ordered every government agency to come up with plans to make it easier for persons of different orientations and uh, and whatnot to vote. You know, the, the, the rubbish. It's not enough just to have, you know, the stupid... Here's more on America that... that stupid people put up with. You're going to need real so-called real ID, these enhanced driver's licenses or a passport to get on a plane for an internal flight. Okay, so we accept. But at the same time, we're told that if you were to make that necessary to vote, then it would be impossible for black people uh, to get to the polls because they have 
less valid ID than white folks do, supposedly, and they have more difficulty in acquiring it. Okay, well then why is it necessary to board a plane? Isn't the plane then racist? Isn't Delta racist? Isn't American Airlines racist? Isn't Southwest racist? In, uh, because uh, they have to show a real ID, enhanced ID, to get on the plane. It's all rubbish. It's, about, it's all rubbish, and uh, Conservative Inc. never... Uh, successfully lands a blow on it. Now, the Department of Justice is defying a judge's order to have coughed up all this rubbish by September the 8th. And the reason they're stonewalling and sitting on it is because, you know, what is the judge going to do? They'll go, oh, yes, again, I, I know American judges. We've had this all the time that uh, the, the other side fails to respond by the judge's date and three weeks go by and so you, you eventually send a motion asking the judge to order them to cough it up and then he gives them, he says, oh yeah, you're right, I hadn't noticed that they failed to comply. Uh, I'll give them a, a, another three weeks to comply and cough this thing up. Well, if they do that in this case, then they'll run out the clock and election day will have passed. And we went, this was a freedom of information request to see what the Department of Justice was up to in the run-up to the election. And the judge, uh, they failed to comply with it. It's just a racket now. Um, uh, 99% of the FBI and DOJ are good, decent folks. So what, says Michael Cavino? More and more, I truly believe that Senator Mitch McConnell wants to be, to borrow a phrase from Rush, the Bob Michael of the Senate. He would rather stay in the minority in the Senate so long as he retains his leadership power, hence his will unwillingness to support Republican Senate candidates uh, who he is not groomed. Um, yeah. It, these are not the people. We are getting past the stage where really the Republicans can, the normal Republican uh, behavior can do anything uh, about the world we're in. Um, and, and that is, I think that that's very, that's very, uh, disturbing in its uh, in its implications. Uh, Tim Boggs, Midwestern Tim. Oh, <laughs> no, I, I should do this question first. George Pazin, whom I always call George Pazin, uh, because I'm I think he's from California, but I'm always trying to make him sound like he's Quebecois. Uh, so I, I don't know. I don't know why all the flags have to be at half mast because of this tyrannous queen who has oppressed my people for hundreds of years, uh, and that isn't uh, uh, George Pazin style at all. So I don't want to attribute to that. He says, "Why do you suppose people like Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab decide to become Bond villains?" Uh, I think because you, simply because you could get away with it. Do you know Ian Fleming? There's a lot of snobbery among uh, thriller writers. And um, who's that guy I quite like? He writes these very realistic books set in the Second World War. It's almost like you're there in a black and white movie. Uh, Alan First. That's, that's who I'm thinking of. But Alan wrote a, an anthology of best thriller writing. 
And he says in his intro, you know, you're not going to be finding any Ian Fleming in here because uh, this is about serious uh, writing. So you get a lot of stuff, you know, uh, all the wilderness of mirrors thing from the Cold War between the West and the Soviet Union and all the rest of it. But Fleming... Actually, and that wilderness of mirrors, moral equivalence thing, that's one side of it, maybe. But Ian Fleming, uh, although Alan First and co. may dismiss him, actually was quite right when he was, when he, because basically globalists are what these various Spectre is a globalist organization. And they meet in all, uh, and they meet in all the places where the World Economic Forum meets, so that they're on remote uh, islands in the South Pacific, or they're on in the Alps, in uh, Davos, and all the rest of it. And and then you have Klaus Schwab, who does actually behave and dress like a Bond villain. Bill Gates is a little bit more of a schlub, but he uh, when he's doing his moob thing, you know, he could be in a Ian Fleming novel, Moob, Moob Breaker, is that the one I'm thinking of? Um, I think Fleming had a, a great insight in that these, this idea of nation states locked in, uh, locked in combat with nation states was, I mean, it's pretty clear in Ukraine, for example. In Ukraine, there are, there are actually Ukrainian soldiers fighting Russian soldiers on the ground, but all we know, it, it, that's basically like something going on in a sandbox over in the corner with the children and the grown-ups, the guys who are imposing sanctions on Russia and the Russians who are cutting off the pipeline to Germany. Uh, for them, the little, uh, you know, national armies at war is just some sort of side event to the real machinations. And I think that, you know, Fleming kind of... Uh, Fleming's more exotic villains uh, all cooperating and holed up in uh, hollowed out Alps is actually closer to where our world is at the moment. Uh, Tim Boggs, Midwestern Tim, says, when and how do the Bond villains of the World Economic Forum meet their end? Uh, is it sharks with la <laughs> lasers on their heads? Yes, I think that's true. You know, Klaus Schwab and Bill Gates, they must have shark tanks. I mean, they seem the kind. And so what you have to do is you have to be like uh, 007. You have to get invited to dinner with Klaus Schwab or Bill Gates. And then just as is, um, uh, just as uh, Klaus presses the button to open the shark tank and you start to fall, but you leap to one side and knock one of the minions into the shark tank and uh, then then go after Klaus Schwab. But it is going to be like that. It is going to be like that. That's the crazy world we are in. Uh, let's do uh, one. Oh, look at this one. I wasn't expecting to get a question on this. Douglas says, Mark, can you ex please explain how South Africa ended up in its present condition? Was Nelson Mandela a civil rights hero or something far from it? Could South Africa be one of the few places of the British Empire that did not improve because of London's intervention? To me, South African politics are complicated and difficult to understand. Well, I, I think about this question from time to time. In fact, uh, Rich Lowry 
paid me a high compliment at the time of Nelson Mandela's death, which he, in which he said he'd learned more from South Africa in my column uh, than he had from um, uh, than than he had from uh, you know reading tons and tons of stuff. Um, I, I was thinking about this when I was in London because I walked through Parliament Square. The only Commonwealth country that has two statues in Parliament Square is South Africa, where you have Field Marshal Smuts. He was a brilliant man. Uh, he's basically the uh, father of the Royal Air Force. Uh, and uh, he's the only man, I think, who was on the Imperial War Council in both the First World War and the Second World War. He was a brilliant man. And the other guy, so there's Field Marshal Smuts, whom nobody's heard of these days, and then Nelson Mandela, whom everyone reveres. Mandela met Smuts when he was a schoolboy in South Africa. Smuts came to visit the school, and uh, Nelson Mandela was presented to him. And I, I think if I, as I pass these statues... Smuts would be now before all you people. Oh, 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 racist, 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 racist. Smuts was defeated in 1948 by his party was defeated by the uh, South African National Party in 1948, which then introduced apartheid, which led to its departure from the Commonwealth for uh, 30 years or whatever it was. And um, so with Smuts. Uh, Smuts thought of South Africa as just another British dominion, no different from Canada or Australia or New Zealand. That's how he thought of it. Now, he, you had a situation where basically 60, I think it was 67 percent black, uh, about 20 percent white, and then the rest are like coloreds, which are you know, mixed race people, as they call them in South Africa, and then some Indians like uh, dear old Gandhi, who was a solicitor in South Africa. And that 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 balance basically stayed just about the same. The 67 percent uh, black, 20 percent white stayed the same all through until the end of apartheid South Africa in the 1990s. And people thought, and his, as I said, his thing was that South Africa was a first world society, just like Canada, just like Australia, just happened to have a large number of blacks in it who certainly should be treated in a civilized way. Uh, but you, it, it was unreasonable to think the franchise should be extended to them because that would mean the end of the state. People people liked, and, and the other thing to remember about South Africa is there's two types of whites. There's Afrikaners who are generally harder, sported the apartheid thing, and then they're like Dutch uh, Dutch South African, and then the what you might call the British South African, who uh, were who who generally were supposed to be of a more liberal disposition. But oddly enough, what people liked about South African whites is that they they assumed they were tough bastards, and so they weren't going to give in to all the crap. And in the sixties and seventies, when South Africa was a prior state, uh, pariah state, you would you'd be sitting in a pub, you know. Could could be in Newcastle, uh, or it could be in Dublin, or it could be in Vancouver. And at a certain point in the evening, there will always be someone who'd be saying, "Well, 
if things carry on as they are here, I'm off to South Africa. Because they thought that those guys were the tough guys who would not, in the end, there would come a point when they would not put up with any of the thing. And instead, they reached the point where they just folded. And today, the proportion of whites in South Africa, I think, is about half of what it was 35 years ago. I think it's down close to 10% now. A lot of people have left and you meet them all you meet a lot of them in Perth and the rest of Western Australia for example and and they've left because they've concluded that things are getting worse it's getting more corrupt things do not function at Mandela's funeral things did not function which is why a convicted criminal who'd been convicted of necklacing that's putting a burning tire around the head of somebody He'd been convicted of that. He'd mysteriously never served the sentence. And he wasn't a, uh, an interpreter. And he was the one who wound up standing next to Mandela. Again, this is the crap of America, by the way. Uh, so uh, the American system, they'll be doing this on Monday in London. You fly in not just Air Force One, but the decoy Air Force One. So you have to have two Air Force Ones so that when they, if they're going to shoot one of them out of the sky, they shoot the decoy one out of the sky. And then you have all these other support planes to bring in the 173-car motorcade or whatever, and you have all the Secret Service guys, and you have all their Cartagena hookers that they like to travel with, and you need all of them uh, in their black suits and the reflector shades and the telephone cord hanging from the uh, air, and they uh, secure the stadium, uh, and they bring the president in, in this case Obama, and they stand him on stage next to a convicted criminal pretending to be an interpreter and just making mumbo-jumbo signs. That's American security for you. It's all complete rubbish. South Africa is a, is a tragedy. Uh, I When I wrote about the Mandela funeral, I said, you know, Smut, that above all would be what horrified smuts. You know, these are flawed men. They did not think... They, there was an assumed racial superiority even amongst the most benign and enlightened men. And there was an assumed racial superiority among the races they governed. You could ask uh, Mahatma Gandhi what he thought of South African blacks, and it wouldn't be flattering. Um, but it was a first world society, and it is shifting now into something else, which is terrible because they one advantage they had is that it was, you know, 15, 20 years after the rest of Africa had been decolonized, so they didn't have to make a lot of these mistakes. And I haven't even mentioned what's happening to white farmers. Uh, let's let's see. I'll do one more. I really shouldn't, but I'm, you know, I guess I'm... Uh, I'm just, what do, we, what do we have here? Simon Arnold says, hi, Mark, new hair. Well, welcome along. Simon says, uh, new hair. I've always found that the late majesty, Queen Elizabeth II, was always there. She would be there during the Christmas speech or opening parliament. I'm just wondering if the new king will be more upfront and visible beyond the usual things the queen used to do. Well, you would think that from his energies. Just this last week, I, 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 David Starkey said something to me. I think I mentioned this the other day that has stuck with me. Um, essentially, head, head of the Commonwealth was a bauble for King George VI. He didn't treat it as anything. He didn't care for it. He didn't think it imposed any particular 
obligations uh, on him. The queen saw it as an opportunity and made the most of it. And if the king is doesn't want to put aside all his political activism, the only opportunity he's going to have, because, you know, uh, his prime ministers around the world are not going to be into him carrying on in this way. But the head of the Commonwealth thing gives him immense opportunities. And I'm wondering if somewhere at the back of his mind, because he's been preparing for this a long time, if he doesn't think actually the extra constitutional opportunities of that role aren't more appealing to him than the constrained role of king. I will just put that thought out there. Uh, a little bit more music to close. I mentioned that uh, Janice Page, whose uh, 100th birthday we're celebrating today because we need something to uh, cheer us up in this grim time. I mentioned that Janice starred in the film version of Silk Stockings. She was third billed after Fred Astaire and Sid Charisse. Better billing, in fact, than uh, Peter Laurie and uh, Jules Munchen got in that picture. And they were Pretty big stars at that time. Uh, Silk Stockings is based on Ninochka. It's set in Paris and a bunch of Soviet commissars have been dispatched by the Kremlin uh, to prevent a Russian composer defecting. The poor comrade is in Paris and he's being seduced by all the decadence of the West, notably its women. Uh, who don't dress as if they've come straight from the collective farm. Oh, you can scoff, you can scoff, but isn't that actually the central premise of the war on terror for the complacent classes? Oh, we don't need to worry about Ahmed and Mohammed because after they've been in the West for two, three, five, twelve generations, they'll be hot for Miley Cyrus twerking uh, just like everybody else. Anyway, Silk Stockings is one of my very favorite jokes. They're discussing some big-time Bolshevik or other, and one of the Soviet commissars says to another commissar, Oh, look him up in Who's Still Who? <laughs> who's Still Who? <laughs> look him up in Who's Still Who? I love that. It's a great line and a perfect distillation of Stalinism in its way. Who's Still Who? Uh, Cole Porter tried to match that in the songs. There's... Uh, a number in the score called I've Got the Red Blues. But this is late Cole Porter and it didn't come as easily as it once did. So it took him three goes to come up with a song for this scene. Uh, Janice Page plays a Hollywood leading lady who is dispatched to lure the Soviet composer into staying in Paris, chiefly by reminding him of core Western freedoms, such as the freedom of women to wear insufficient clothing. As Cole Porter puts it, if she's wearing silk and satin, she's for petting and for patting. Miss Page is wearing silk and satin and loaded for Russian bears. Since my trips have been extensive everywhere, I've become a much wiser gal. For I've noticed that expensive underwear can improve a gal's morale. It is strange how lovely lingerie can affect a gal's false modesty if she's wearing silk and satin. Satin. 
satin and silk. Though she knows that boys are evil imps, yet she yearns to give those boys a glimpse if she's wearing silk and satin. Satin and silk. You cannot expect a lady to exert that certain pull if she's wearing flannel bloomers and the stockings are made of wool. But a woman's woes are at an end And she's all prepared to make a friend If she's wearing silk and satin She's for petting and for patting If she's wearing silk and satin Satin and silk Though a gal may have been born a prude, she can quite reverse her attitude if she's wearing silk and satin, satin and silk. With attractive trimmings neath her dress, any demoiselle can spell success if she's wearing silk and satin, satin and silk. Not expect a burlesque queen to cherish further hope If her bra is made of buckram And her g-string is made of rope But she knows cause she has traveled miles She can always lay them in the aisles If she's wearing silk and satin She can flatten any Latin If she's wearing silk and Well, that's about as far as you can get from last week's closing music. I was glad when they said unto me, as set by Henry Purcell, but variety is the spice of life and all that. So, Satin and Silk by Cole Porter, as wrestled to the ground by today's birthday girl, Janice Page, in a jet-black basque and little else from the film Silk Stockings. 1957, 65 years ago, but a lost world. Though she knows that boys are evil imps, yet she yearns to give those boys a glimpse. You cannot expect a burlesque queen to cherish further hope if her bra is made of buckram and her g-string is made of rope. Oh, 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 oh. don't try that at home, boys and girls. Uh, For the film, they changed uh, the final couplet of the song to the slightly unsatisfactory if she's wearing silk and satin, she can flatten any Latin. Cole Porter originally wrote, just to bring it all back to the top story this month, if she's wearing silk and satin, she can flatten Lord Mountbatten. Uh, As in the Queen's glamorous uncle-in-law, the last Viceroy of British India and first Governor-General of Independent India, the first Earl Mountbatten of Burma. Lord Mountbatten was murdered by the Irish Republican Army at Mullock Moor in August 1979. I certainly hope the IRA's G-strings are made of rope. Happy 100th birthday to Janice Page. I hope it's a corker. We will have all our regular features this weekend, the 100 Years Ago show, Rick McGuinness's movie pick, Stein Song of the Week, plus... 
a brand new Sunday poem. Stay safe, stay free. Clubland Q&A is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. Rights Reserved.